HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on tour at Charleston Wine and Food 2022. I'm Sam Ben Ruby from the Grape Nation, and today we are broadcasting live from the heart of the culinary village. It's Saturday. Our guests today are, I guess you can call this a, uh, a cool Charleston wine roundtable. I have an all star crew here, so I want to introduce everyone Femio Yadarin. From Graf Wine Shop, Matthew Conway from the Tippling House, and Justin Coleman from Monarch Wine Merchants. Welcome to the Grape Nation, guys. Thanks. Great to be here. Good to have you here. All right, so let's, I don't want to spend a lot of time doing this, but let's just go around the horn and tell everyone who you are. I'll start with Femi, and I start in a good way because I think this week is like your fourth anniversary. Yeah, yeah. So, fourth anniversary of Graf. Just tell everybody a little, you know, what Graft is. Yeah, so Graft is a wine shop and wine bar hybrid that I opened up four years ago with uh, one of my really uh, good friends, Miles White. Who was supposed to be here. Who was supposed to be here, but, you know, he's trash, so he's not here. (laughs) Just kidding, I love you, Miles. Um, Yeah, four years ago, and, uh, you know, we just, uh, we sell wine. We uh, pour wine for uh, for everybody, and we try to keep the beats, uh, try to keep the beats going, too, so. You're very humble because... It's a curated selection of great wines. There's a vibe there that isn't necessarily everywhere else. You guys are around a lot. Yeah. And four years later through COVID, you're still going strong. So yeah, we're still that, here. <laughs> that's Femi Graft. Yeah. Then you. I have Justin. Justin is one of two. Uh, no, not one of two. Justin's a New Yorker that came down here years ago. And I think identified a niche as far as, you know, wine. There's not great wine here. And opened a place called... Monarch Wine Merchants. So just tell me, when did you open? You know, you sort of had a vision and a mission, and where were you at today? Sure. So uh, we opened five years ago, and really the concept was to bring a, I guess you could say, big city-style, small neighborhood wine shop to Charleston, a place where I used to like to go and frequent when I lived in New York. Um, Nothing too big, but just with a really smart selection of wines and a knowledgeable staff. Right. Uh, that could, uh, you know, recommend uh, a wine at any price point to anybody that walked through the door. Um, So I'm curious about two things. When do you decide that you're leaving New York? You know, and you had a background as a Psalm and other stuff. 
when do you decide why? Why Charleston? You know, why a wine totally. shop? Why aren't you an importer? You know, why you're on the flight? Yeah. How'd this come about? So uh, my, the, the birth of my first daughter was the catalyst for getting out of New York. We were living in a your typical very small apartment in Brooklyn that kept getting smaller as my daughter kept growing. Um, we have a connection to South Carolina, not necessarily Charleston in general, but my wife's sister uh, ended up going to law school in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, so we had been coming down and visiting for many years. Uh, oh, so you knew the market. Yeah, we knew the market. And, uh, you know, Charleston uh, sort of offered that ease of lifestyle, but the amenities of a big city. I think a lot of people talk about how Charleston is a small town but acts like a big city. Um, and I was still in the restaurant business at the time. So Charleston kind of checked a bunch of boxes for myself and my family in terms of giving us the lifestyle we wanted to live, but also uh, this very elevated and progressive restaurant culture and restaurant scene. Um, So when we were kind of making the decision and saying, well, should we move to this town, this town, or this town, it seemed like Charleston kept coming up as the place that had everything we were looking for. But what's interesting is you're right. Charleston has this elevated restaurant scene, but I'm sitting with two guys. I mean, when you came down, Graf wasn't around, and Graf is definitely added to the market. And I'm going to introduce uh, Matthew Conway, a friend of mine from New York. Matthew came down to New York, came down from New York. Not a dissimilar story to Justin, but tell me. So Matthew worked in New York in the restaurant business, general manager, wine guy, and all that. Has some family down here, packed it in. So you came down here when? And I think you came down here not necessarily as a permanent thing, right? So walk me through that. Uh, yeah, I came down here two years ago next month uh, during COVID. Most people should know the story because this is my third time on the Grape Nation and everybody is an avid listener, so they've already heard yes. the story. I got to um, get you that three-time velvet jacket. But I, I got I got down here two years ago next month, um, and the goal was not necessarily to stay or open anything. It just kind of evolved over time. That's it? I mean, it just, one thing led to another. It evolved into something, I mean, if you want me to elaborate, people before Femi and Justin had come along and made this town the type of place where a lot of great wine started to come. And then about five years ago, you've got the Grafs and Monarchs and Edmunds Oast and wine and companies. And, and so when you, when you were first down here, I know you're doing a little fishing. You know, I know you were potchkering around. I still do fishing. You still do fishing. Do you? Did you have any idea that, listen, I'm going to start a business here, or I'm going to try to stay in the trade? Was that inevitable? or? I mean, all I know is wine, so it's kind of hard to do something different. Uh, being a parks ranger wasn't really something <laughs> I thought was a possibility. Um, so once my wife got... Uh, established doing the events at Leon's and we knew we were going to stay. I knew I needed to do something. Right. And then as things started to progress, you know, I love Graft uh, and what they do. And I spend a lot of time there and we love Good Neighbor Sunday and, and are friends with everybody there. I spent a good time uh, helping Justin at Monarch uh, on Tuesdays for about a year. So I, I felt good in the community. Um, Right. 
and, and I just wanted to get to do something that I only know how, and that's like food and wine. So the idea of having a place that's in a neighborhood with lots of restaurants where somebody can come have a snack and a glass of wine, it just felt I think, right. I think Tippling House contributes to that community. You know, the type of place Justin is when you walk in, Femi's place, and now throw Tippling House on it. You know, it's a good triumvirate of, you know, really genuine places. I'm curious because you three business guys, you own your own businesses. Um, I hope we're living in like a post-pandemic world, you know, maybe with a little herd immunity, vaccinations, you know, we're beyond the hard stuff. I'll start with you, Fem. I'm just curious, the pandemic, how did it change what you're doing now? Did it, you know, obviously you survived, but, you know, tell me about the tough times during the pandemic. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, the pandemic was kind of bittersweet. You know, we um, we definitely, I think, you know, our bar was closed for seven months, and I kind of took it as a, little, a learning we experience. Closed, yeah, yeah, we literally closed the bar for seven months. So it's, you know, our joke is that, you know, Graf Wine Shop, you know, where a wine shop and wine bar was just Graf Wine Shop for seven months. Um, was the business ever in jeopardy? I mean, did you... No, the, the you... business was never in jeopardy, but, you know, it, it certainly, we had to kind of like really, because we had to pivot and, you know, we learned a lot from that, you know, because we had to really kind of focus solely on retail and our customer base. And uh, so I think we definitely learned to operate differently. And when we came back, um, you know, we changed our hours. We don't do a bar service during the day anymore. We open at 5 p.m. And that just kind of really gives us the flexibility of taking care of people the way we need to be able to take care of them. Did you, you did some outdoor stuff like during COVID, right? You took advantage. Yeah, we did. I mean, we you did. do that anyway. We do that anyways yeah. with our good neighbor Sundays, but um, we never had out really like any dedicated like outdoor seating. And uh, so we added like some seats outside that we didn't really have before. And that kind of really opened up, I do think, a lot for us. Do you feel the market is returning to a level, you know, that's... I would say that, I would, you know, it's interesting because I think obviously a lot more people participated in, in retail during the, during the shutdown. People that weren't really wine drinkers became wine drinkers, I think. Ah. So, you know, if anything, I'd say that, you know, are you seeing the boom that you the boom that you've seen, you know, during the shutdown, you know, if anything. Right. Yeah. So that that's a good play into Justin, because right. I guess a lot of people were home and at some point, you know, they're like, I gotta get a buzz going here. Let me just sure. run out. How did did the pandemic affect the market? Positive, negative, neutral? I mean, how did that work out for you? Uh, it's tough It's tough to say because the pandemic was obviously so negative, but for business, it was positive for our, our business. Like you said, with people not being able to go out and drink or out go out and enjoy a great bottle of wine, they had to do that in their own homes. And uh, us being a retail shop, it, it kind of, we, we filled that void uh, for our customers, uh, surely. Did you have to close down at all for any? We never of time? closed. Um, it was there a thing where you were an essential business, or you don't fall under that? I think it was. That's a very good question. I don't know the answer to it. We stayed open. Um, I, I, I guess we were considered an essential business. I know a lot of our customers. Uh, it was had, essential had to them, yeah. right? Yeah, it was definitely yeah. essential for them, and they let yeah. us know that we, they were very happy that we had. Were Hello, are you open? open? <laughs> Exactly right. right over. If yeah. wine is an essential business, yeah. nothing yeah. is. That's right. So, yeah. yeah, we stayed open. We amended the way we did business. Um, you know, in, in the beginning, uh, very scary days of COVID, we weren't allowing people inside because we didn't want them touching anything. Uh, before we knew that masks were an effective way to stop the spread of it, 
we didn't let anybody inside the building at all, and we were just taking kind of phone orders and email orders, and people would pick up on the curb. Um, so we adjusted the way we sold the wine, um, but the business remained open, uh, and business was was good, to be honest with That's you. That's good to hear. Yeah. And Matt, you, you were not around then, but it's fair to say, and you articulated a little, that Tippling House is a result of you know, COVID, your life changed, you looked at what you wanted to do and can do. So in a sense, would you say you got in at a good time and looking forward now, you're happy where you are and where things are going to be going? Yeah, I mean, we do a little bit of retail, but I think it's a good time to, to get into taking care of people. The one thing I think everybody... Um, missed during the pandemic was connecting with people seeing friends sharing drinks and laughter and so to be able to create a place uh where people can do that is definitely good timing you know to come in and give people somewhere to feel comfortable they're ready to go um i'm curious about the wine scene in charleston and i would suspect you guys have a pretty good you know handle on it I mean, fairly good representation, retail, wine bar, you know, new business and all that. Can you, have you seen changes in the market since you've opened? Like, is the consumer different? Is spending different? Is the thirst for certain types of wine more specific? You know, it's been interesting the last few years. I think we've really kind of seen, you know, sort of, you know, maturation of Charleston, right? Um, uh, it's there's been a there there's been a lot in play. We you know we've got a lot more you know distributors. You know we're seeing a little bit more of a dynamic so scene in terms selection. of yeah. There's more selection, and then also you know I, I think Charleston's also been very blessed with like allocations with uh, certain wines and wineries that we kind of get to see because of our importers and their relationships they have you know intimately with certain growers. And uh, considering really how many uh, there's not really that many players also in South Carolina, right. so. The places that have the intent are able to kind of really kind of create magic in all of their spaces. Right. Um, so, yeah, we, 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 Charleston's just been on every level, on the amount of places you can drink at, the amount of places you can shop at, uh, the amount of people that are importing and distributing. All of it has been growing. So we're also seeing our customers are learning. They're becoming smarter. They're becoming more specific about what they want to drink. It's been, it's been very cool to watch, actually. Is the mar- your market, is it fair to say, is younger, millennial, or are it's you everyone. on the range? It's everyone. You can't I think, you know, but it's also wine. Like, the, right. uh, there are so many more people that are casual about their, their intent about drinking wine now than ever there ever was before. So I think the barrier of entry is, is a lot, you know, is a lot less steep now. Right. People are just kind of really coming into it. So, but yeah. And Justin, same question, retail. You've been at it, you know, five years. We talked about being through a pandemic. I mean, have you seen changes? I mean, did the shelves look different now than they did five years ago because of the market? Um, has the consumer changed? I mean, what's, does anything jump out to you? Yeah, uh, I mean, I would just piggyback off of what Femi said. Uh, the, the, the consumer has become, I think, more aware of what's going on in the wine world in general, in the United States and the world. Um, and uh, and they, they, they when when we maybe when we first opened our doors, we were the ones sort of introducing them to let's say a skin contact white wine or an orange wine or something like that. We'd say, hey, we know you like white wine. If you want to try something completely different, but kind of in that same realm, try this out. And now, you know, so ten times that, a day, somebody comes in and says, where are your orange wines? 
right. So I'm curious about that. You brought up both points of what I'm trying to make. How informed are people where they come in and say, where are your orange wines? And how much of it is you know about it, you bring it in, and by talking to your customers with a relationship, you know, you suggest it. I mean, how informed is the market? I think very informed. Um, but not only informed, I, I guess it can be twofold. They're, uh, they're informed to a certain extent, but also very curious and not snobbish and not dogmatic about what they want to drink or what they think wine should be, right? Uh, one of the big... Um, one of the big eye-opening things for me when I came down here is, you know, New York is uh, a very sophisticated uh, wine market, but maybe not necessarily as open-minded as Charleston. Good point. Uh, so uh, everybody opened up, loosened uh, up Absolutely, a yeah. There's, um, and that plays to the type of place that you have. For sure. Much more open-minded to suggestions, much more open-minded to trying something new. Uh, and while they're informed, maybe not having so many preconceived notions about this, that, or the other style of wine or producer right. or whatever it is. Right. That's interesting. And Matt, you're the last guy in. So your perceptions are you've been open about six months. You know, you had an idea of the type of place and what you want to serve. What, what are you seeing there? I mean, how do you sort of describe the market? It feels like six months, but it's been about three, so we're, we're brand new. But what I do notice, and having spent time in both of these gentlemen's businesses, they've done a lot of the groundwork to get people excited about wine. And I, I get people every night who come in through December, January, February, which tend to be less tourists and more locals right. that have uh, frequent in, frequented these establishments and are asking for orange wine, are looking for certain producers or style of wines that I didn't even get in New York uh, because they've been drinking at Graft or shopping at Monarch or the numerous other places that Femi set around town. So they may not be the most knowledgeable clientele, but they definitely know what they want and what they want to expand upon that. And that's been really exciting. So to make that a little bit more approachable, we offer every bottle on our list by the half bottle uh, on our daily list, which is changed and printed daily. So if you come in tonight and you want a bottle of Envinate, it's hard to get in many places. I have it for $60 on the list. You can rip the cork and drink that for $30. Most people don't know what Envinate is or on Negro or whatever right, the varietal is. Don't want to drink a full bottle. But they could say to me, oh, I normally drink Pinot Noir, and if I have the half bottle open, I can be like, well, how about that? And of course, if you're used to drinking Oban Climat Pinot Noir and you get a splash of Envinate, you're going to be happy with it, right? You're going to like it. And then I think that it bounces back to them. Maybe next time they're shopping at... Uh, Monarch, they're like, hey, I had this bottle at Tipling. I don't remember what it was, but it was from the Canary Islands. And then Justin's like, well, I got five wines from the Canary Islands right now. And like, as Femi and I talked about a couple weeks ago, you know, it takes a village. And if we're all working together, the, all the boats rise. And it's like the types of people. Well, that's the, 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 tourists, that's the healthy the, attitude. The tourists from coming outside, that's hit or miss. But the people who are here that are loving wine are learning more. They're sharing experiences in all of our spaces, and that's allowing them more knowledge to grow. And most of them don't have the knowledge, but they have the questions to ask. Hey, Femi, I had this. Hey, Justin, I had that. And They're then we can be like, hit them with this. Yeah. is just as good. Absolutely. And yeah. then as it takes a village, and we're so working on this town. Wine is a part of the conversation in Charleston now. But So yeah. being inquisitive, 
I'm just curious, and this is a general question, but what are people drinking now? Has there been a shift? Like, you guys are proponents of sustainable, natural wine, small producers. Um, you've pushed it without anyone asking you. Is that what people are drinking now? I mean, when people come into the store, come into Graft, is that most of the stuff? Have you curated that list where most of it is, you know, producers with a story, smaller, uh, thoughtful? Know, I think, you know, I think it's just, in, you know, when you see people that have particular uh, growing practices or as an ideology in the vineyard, the wines are just better. Right. So I think there's a trust factor. So it's not a label natural right. wine. It's because yeah. of that and the, the practices, the wines are, they're better. Yeah, they're, they're tastier. They are livelier. You know, they're just delicious. And um, so... I think it, it, it really is a, a trust factor because once people just kind of like genuinely trust you, you know, it's it's less of that because they're like, I trust that they've done the work right. and what they source. And that's kind of the idea of a wine store, right? You are right. sourcing things and your customers trust your <laughs> your skill set and that you're... you're right, they turn to you for that yeah, sourcing. You know, yeah. they're relying on you. I would guess translates same thing into retail. Sure, yeah. I think there's a there's sort of a lineage from what Femi was saying of a we're just a uh, sort of a, a middleman in trying to connect the grower of the wine to the end consumer right but we have a lot of the same characteristics that uh, the winemakers have in that we're small businesses we're you know family run uh, we don't do things with uh, sort of profit in mind but we do things because we, we love them and we find that uh, these are the righteous, uh, for us anyway, these are, are, are righteous uh, things that we um, espouse. And sort of there's this kind of linear, almost connection uh, between us and the winemakers that we represent in that we all hold the same things dear and we all sort of have the same end goal. Don't you wish every businessman ran a business that thoughtful? Yeah. I mean, it's second nature to you because that's who you are, what you want to do. I think, um, I think to Femi's point, you know, if I could cook seafood like James London at Chubby Fish, I would just cook at home every night. But I go there because I trust that he can do it better than me. So doing the same thing with wine is not revolutionary in the world, but it might be something new, let's say the past decade in Charleston, to find somebody, and many of them are sitting at this table, that can provide an expertise that you would never be able to do, even if you shop at Whole Foods or wherever right. it is. So the trust factor of having known that somebody else has done the work for you, you can walk into one of their shops and pull something off the shelf, and you know the work has been done for you. You know dice. it's going to be but, good. Yeah. But yeah. I, I believe in that, and I think that's like the key to get into the right wine world. It's just some people are shy, you know, or they're intimidated by wine. But I know all of you, and I think you would be able to crack their code and say, what do you like? What do you want to spend? What you know, you're not just trying to upsell them a bottle. So the beautiful thing is with you guys is, you know, that's built in. That's where your commitment is. I'm curious about one thing because all you guys were restaurant guys. And Charleston, nobody's going to argue, is a big restaurant town. Are the guys that are doing wine at the restaurants, are they championing, champion, championing, hard word to say, the type of wines that you guys have settled in at, you know, what you serve, natural producers, small producers, guys that you could depend on, or is it just still that, uh, you know, Camus mainstream? Tough question. Because um, the market is changing, the consumer's changing, we talked about it, but what are, are those guys doing? There are some people doing some good work, but in full transparency, 
it's hard. I think you asked me this last time on the show, and I struggled a little bit. It's hard to think of a, a restaurant in town, restaurants in town that are meeting the quality of the food with the quality of the wine program outside of the handful that have been doing it for a long time. Charleston Grill, Fig, Ordinary, the places that are on your bucket list. And I think the more that we do our jobs, the more they want to do a little bit more to match it. And it's not a knock on anybody. I think it's just part of evolution. So wait, you're saying if they see you're there and you're doing it and you're championing it, they're I mean, like, hey, we got to get more of this or pay attention. I think if you go to Graft on a Sunday on your day off and you see 200 people in the parking lot getting down with bomb-ass wine, you, you, you want to get with the program. To these yeah, guys. I mean, you know, I think Charleston is, you know, we say it's in a you know, growth period for a reason, and there's also a reason why we say it takes a village, right? Like, So <laughs> the, the shops need to get there, the bars need to get there, and the third part of it is the restaurants need to get there. And obviously people are shopping at our respective establishments, and drinking there and so it's kind of inevitable like you know you're gonna have to switch it up it's a dining <laughs> thing people will see the disconnect I, I, yeah so. i also think that uh you know b between uh, miles femi myself um we could throw they, matt in for sure but we came from <laughs> charleston restaurants where we were pushing wineless to the places where our shops are now pushing our selection so we we've taken away in, in our leaving the restaurant scene in Charleston and then opening up retail where maybe the, the restaurants were leading the way in terms of the res, uh, wine culture in Charleston, I, I see it now that you know retail and wine bars are the ones leading the yeah. charge in the I wine agree. culture in Charleston and not maybe not so much the restaurants anymore. I agree. Um, I, I don't want to use the term like natural wine. But restaurants, you know, have more mainstream wineless and all of that. Is part of the problem because thoughtful wines, low intervention wines, natural wines, as far as restaurants are concerned, are just not the mainstream yet? The consumer's not clawing? We talked about how it's going to get there, but is that where it's at now? You know, where you go into a restaurant and you don't... I, I, I think it's very simple. It's like... A, rest, a steakhouse that buys steak from Cisco and puts it on a grill, that's easy to do. If you're going to go to the farm and, pull, and get your produce from the farmer and prepare it, it's more work, it's more labor, it's less profit. When you get into the wine game, it's easy to just pull large quantity of wines that are always going to be in stock that you don't have to change your wine list. It's much harder work. Right. And the natural producers from small farmers tend to be less stock on a yearly basis. So you have to change your list more. You have to train your staff more. There's so much more investment and the profit margin is actually probably lower rather than greater in a restaurant setting to be working with those styles of wines. I think not to mention. That's Not to crux. mention that the overall price point is lower. Like, it's a $60 wine rather than a $100 wine. So all roads lead to steering somebody who isn't passionate. And I was going to say this earlier in the conversation. If all of us wanted to be rich, we'd be in banking or something else. We're doing this, <laughs> we're doing this because it's a passion for us. And so while the profit margin Imagine might be Femi lower. Imagine Femi as a teller. If I would love, no, I, I see him as a <laughs> broker. Let's I go. See him. Let's get it. But it's a passion. <laughs> Let's go. It takes passion to want to put in the hard work, no matter what field you're in. You know, whether you're working out in the gym to be a basketball player or whether you're doing your homework or working with distributors in the small wine game, it takes hard work to provide high-end results. And the three people sitting at this table do that. It's just not the, the norm for most restaurants. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, I mean, s s sort of 
to spin that a different way is uh, the risk factor, right? So we, uh, at least speaking from myself, the the we're I'm much more apt to take risk because the the, the costs of me doing business are much much less than uh, a, a restaurant business would be, or you know, or, or a full blown restaurant right. would be. So you can do a, you can take risks in a small wine bar in a small wine shop. Uh, the type of risk that maybe you couldn't take in a much larger restaurant setting. Right. So the the financial sort of force you to stay safer. Uh, right. In those you big, have to take that into consideration. Settings. Exactly. So one last thing on that. So you know, I remember going to Charleston Grill five six years ago. I mean, you were Sam on the floor. I mean, you were like the Sam. Like, here's a dude who knows the wine, recommend. Are there any Psalms left in Charleston? I mean, do they do that now? Is that like a past? Really? So it's a fair question. I think the and most, I think Charleston Grill still has the best sommelier in town, and Andrew Marshall, that guy is an absolute, so absolute wizard. I think we've proven today that the shift, that whole Psalm, you know, vibe and is now with you guys. That you go into Graft and Femi the Psalm is now Femi the Graft guy, Matt's the Tippling guy, and you talk to Justin, you know, I, I think that's, you know, where it's evolved, and I think that's a better place. All right, so we got to wind down soon, but I'm curious about a few Shout things. Shout out to also Megan Mina at Zero George. That's true. Also. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not, it's, you know, you can't take off yeah, like 10 also, I, <laughs> and, and a, a quick shout out to Morgan at Fig also. Yeah, who's been Morgan, yeah, Morgan like, Calco is four or five big. years yeah, now. Absolutely. She's, I think, longer for sure. Uh, there's know? a handful sure. of them. It's just not the norm. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not. Which where, is not a yeah. knock on it's, Charleston. It's, it's, it's yeah, just, and, and, and the reason also I, I always shout out, you know, Megan in particular is because she's one of the restaurants that actually has dedicated a dedicated team of sommeliers on the floor. So I think that's yeah. like really impressive. Yeah. And does the hard work to change and, the and, list and right. care and train exactly. the staff. To that point, they've been recognized by James Beard as, you know, among the best wine programs. They've won it. So, you know, she's she delivers. Um, all right. So I kind of give a crap, and I think our listeners do, about what we should drink. So I'm curious about what wines you're drinking, what wines are exciting you, like sort of what's in your fridge, what are you curious about? The seasons are changing, so that has that changed the wine? You know, the store. So tell me some stuff that uh, is exciting you right now. That, in the that store? I, just you, in your fridge, just wines. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I listened to the show, and Femi mentioned yeah. two wines, and I went out and bought one, and it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, that's what's so exciting about wine. You know, I, I came into wine, you know, from being just like a, a straight-up nerd about, like, music, especially, like, hip-hop music. I was a straight nerd. And I got into wine, and I was like, this is, like, so cool. You can I can nerd out on wine the way I nerd out on music. And every day there's, like, new stuff. And I'm just like, oh, man, that's dope. So what's, like, like today <laughs> or this week, Like, this today month? is, uh, you know, like, I was just in Champagne, and I got to, like, you know. That's right. You were uh, on I think the Justin East. was just as well. And, were you um, on that trip? No, I was no, on a different trip. So you were in Champagne. We yeah, yeah. each other by just a few weeks. But so Champagne um, was always a yes. Yeah, Champagne was always a yes. There. But spent time there, and you know, got to uh, drink at some places, and you know, taste some new producers. And it's an incredibly dynamic region. I just thought, like, you know, anything so. from that trip that you know knocked you off your uh, seat. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I I went in there with the expectations of knowing that I would really enjoy the people I already enjoy. There, are, you know, people whose wines I already enjoyed, but. There were definitely some new like um, uh, domains that I tasted that I was really excited about. So, you know, 
I think champagne is starting champagne to spread out like, that way. Yeah. Next generations, newer guys, sure. different regions. Yeah. You know, so I think yeah. champagne's exciting. I mean, you got to watch Laval disgorge a bottle of champagne. <laughs> he was like a Laval, like a right? Yeah, was yeah, was no, like, that's what he's talking about. There's a video. What about you, yeah. Justin? I mean, not what you're buying for the store, but I think things that you come across that you like, you may put in the store, but anything, you know, in front of you that you like, you're tasting. Uh, I mean, I think the sort of the... The revolution of Spanish wine is still uh, at the forefront of my... Which part? Brain. I mean, we're not talking Rioja I mean, pre, Priorat, right? Sure. Uh, maybe Priorat a little bit, but okay. uh, certainly like Ribera Sacra, uh, you know, the Atlantic coastal parts of Spain. Maybe. Canary Islands, Canary Islands, too? Islands, absolutely. Um, I think there's uh, some amazing wines coming Tell me up. a couple of producers that have caught your attention. So Nacho Gonzalez, who makes the wines of La Perdida, I think have reached this uh, absolute like apex of what I look for in sort of pure, focused, elegant wine. Uh, the guys from Envinate, of course, yes. have been doing it now for like four or five years. They're in Ribera de Sacra. They're in the Canaries. Exactly right. All coastal. The you pricing know. on their stuff is wonderful, I, I too, mean, right? That, well, that's the other thing about, uh, you know, this new Spanish wine. Owning a small wine shop is not uh, minting me tons of money, so I'm still looking for and reaching for good value uh, and value-driven wines, and I think those wines from Empinate and La Perdida are incredible values. Um, in France, there's a, a small place called Aveyron, which is kind of in the middle of... Spell it. A-V-E-Y-O-R-N, I believe. That's a region? Aveyron. R-O-N, I should say. Um, yeah, it's not really a designated uh, AOC. But wines or, are coming out of that region. Exactly and, right. There's can a, you name producers? Uh, yeah, so uh, Nicholas Caramans is a uh, uh, Patrick Bougeau is another winemaker that I really admire from from that area. Um, it, it seems to be this sort of hotbed of young, I, for lack of a better word, up and coming producers that are making very sort of focused, elegant, crisp, uh, fresh wines to drink on a weeknight. Uh, and on a nice. daily basis. I agree with you on Spain. I had Eric Asimov on yesterday, and he did an article how the new wine growers are enthralled with the old vines, and they're making wines, and that's the Envenati guys and, yeah. you know, some of the other it's guys. A, yeah, you, you call it the new Spain, but it's actually sort of like the ancient Spain. Yeah, it's I mean, the old, they have this Spain. reverence for the vines right. and all that. Now, Matt, same question. I mean, what... You know, I, I, I know you're very specific in what you like. I know your taste, and I want to get to something when we're done with you. But what's exciting you now? I think last time I was on, I, you know, Justin actually turned me on to these wines from uh, Luis Rodriguez. Um, the whites from Spain, I think, are otherworldly. Uh, Les Cortis uh, from Bougie and the Savoie. Those wines tickle me. But I think I talked about those last time. But with the... Um, with the passing of Alain Griot uh, yesterday, I think that I'd like to stick with my own roots and a few things that I've been falling back on that I just, speaking of value and quality for the dollar, it's like you get through these like waves of trends and I think you get caught up in them a little bit. And like, I've been drinking Fori San Joseph, uh, Lionel Fori. Wait, who's the maker? Lionel Fori. F-A-U-R-Y. And those wines retail at a very reasonable price, maybe not for everyday drinking, but for, you know, a special bottle for some people. And the wines are absolutely incredible. 
and then reasonable. there's they're beautiful. And yeah, there's uh, a, a group of growers in the Rhone that are starting to rely on a region across the river. Uh, I'm going to bot- botch the pronunciation, but Cecil. Uh, it's on the opposite side of the river from... Julian Cecil? It's, a, it's an appellation on oh. the other side of the river from Cote so it's facing in an unconventional area, but with... Like it's above, like, Crow's Hermitage? Cr- no, yeah, it's, yeah, correct, but a little bit more north, and it's... Um, with global warming, it's kind of becoming the new site. It's still granitic soils, and you see uh, a bunch of producers that are starting to bottle wines from that Appalachian, and many have been. I think Tessier makes one. Um, so there's a lot of great Syrah that I think I was talking about recently. Uh, if you're going to push me, I'm going to always stick up for the Rhone. While people don't think of it as warm weather wine, you put a bottle of good Syrah in the cooler while you're barbecuing I and drink it that. cold, and it's as good as Beaujolais or any other chilled red, in my opinion. All right, so my next guest, Tahira Habibi, just crashed the party. So (laughs) while you're sitting here with Justin, Matthew, and Femi, the question was, what are you drinking now? What's exciting you? What's in the fridge? What are you tasting that you weren't drinking a month ago? Oh, you know what? I'm on this uh, Eastern European wine thing. Like, those indigenous grapes, like Macedonia, like random. Yeah, the Nushina... Those kinds of, yeah. All right. That sounds good. Um, All right. So we got to wrap up, put you on the spot. You have any projects coming up, any expansion, any ideas, any pop-ups, any new locations? Um, Not really. I'm just looking for good music. So if you got some, send me it. All right. I do have some. Willie Soul will send you stuff your way. Justin? Just, uh, just get everything going, you know. Yeah, absolutely. We've got our hands full at this location, and uh, we're going to stay the course here for the time being. So Maddie has you beat because he opens up a wine shop <laughs> six months ago, and like three, four months into it, he opens a burrito shop, right? <laughs> Same location. Same location. Same kitchen. Just got to do something for lunch. I got to feed Femi. It's a, it's a big those boy. Those burritos are pretty good, though. It's a big you boy, know, you know? You got to keep him full. They see my name popping up in those online orders, Femi's back. <laughs> those things are like a small baby, those burritos. That's right. Yeah. Listen, I want to thank you guys, and it's always special to have you guys on. Justin, it was great to meet you. Likewise. Thank you, I Sam. know what you've been doing for years, so to sit here with you and, you know, to catch up is really great. Of course, Matthew, I've known in New York for many years, and Femi, when I think of Charleston, I can't think of Charleston without thinking of Femi. I mean, they're almost synonymous. So it's always great that you show up, and I'm always happy to have you here. Thank you. And I wish you guys all, you know, good luck and good success. Um, you could use a little luck. You seem to have the formula for success. So, you know. And we will see you out there. I'm sure Femi and Matt, I'll see you before I leave town. Um, so thank you to our guests, Femi, Matthew, and Justin. Um, before we leave, where can we follow everybody on social media? So, Femi, let's talk Graph, and I think people may want to follow you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, graph Wine Shop. Uh, graph. That's the Instagram handle? Well, that's our sh- graph, graph CHS. Shop. Graph okay. Wine Shop, Graph CHS, CHS on Instagram. Yeah. And, and then, then uh, you on Femington Steel. Femington Steel. Are you still cool with that? Oh, Wait, are you still cool with that handle? Or <laughs> if I gave you a chance to switch it now, would you switch it? No, I love it. Okay, good. Have you ever watched Remington Steel before? Yeah, of course. That's oh, a course. great TV show. All right, Justin Monarch. Yeah, just at, at Monarch Wine is our okay, Instagram. Okay, what handle. about you? Do you do anything or not much? Not, not much. All right. just, yeah, and Matthew. Us on there. 
at Tipling House CHS, which is hilarious because there's the Tipling House in Aberdeen, Scotland. That's right. And they jumped <laughs> in and was like, hey, thanks for all the sh- uh, new album, followers from the Carolinas. My first Carolinas, show prep was on that place. <laughs> but he's like, thanks for all the followers from Carolinas, but I, I think y'all are confused. <laughs> we hope to see you on your it's next trip to the yeah. UK. And then I'm at, at Conbeezy. C-O-N-B-E-A-Z-I-E. Right, thank you guys for coming on. Um, hang tight because we're going to talk to Tahira in a second. But let me do a quick outro. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network's live coverage of Charleston Wine and Food Festival. I'm Sam Ben Ruby from the Grape Nation. We're grateful to the festival for having HRM back, HRM back in the Culinary Village for the sixth year running. You can listen to all our coverage on our podcast, Heritage Radio Network on Tour. Find it on heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, everybody, for taking the time. And thank you. Oh, did you cut off yet? All right. So, Matthew, somebody that we all love and care about passed away in the past few days. Are we all Northern Rhone fans? Femi, you love Northern Rhone wines? Northern Rhone. Justin, I know Matthew is like the president of the Northern Rhone Club of North Charleston. Um, Alain Grayot just passed away. Maybe made Crow's Hermitage, you know, something that's important. Matthew, quickly, what can you say? Uh, He was a a fucking legend of a human being who was a, a playboy and lived life like nobody else. Uh, but he was as generous with his time and seller as anybody I've ever met. I've visited him dozens of times, and he never once denied me. He drove from Beaujolais once to come see me uh, and chased me through the wines, and then eventually you know, passed that baton on to his kids. But he drove a nice car, wore nice clothes, drank great wines, was humble as could be, uh, introduced me to people like Raymond Trollot and... Uh, he's loved by everybody I ever met in the Rhone. I've never met anybody who's had a bad word to say about the dude. And So you don't remember this, but, you know, on the show, the regular show, I do a thing called the wine list. I ask everybody five questions. Favorite all-time wine? Grayot Girard. That was your answer. Girard, yeah. Girard, um, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's... He was committed to whole cluster before it was cool, before it was whatever, and he they, they took over the domain in '86, and he never made a single vintage that wasn't whole cluster, and I think that helped transform the region into the region that I know and want to support today. Uh, and for that, to me, he's a legend, and I, I thought so with his rest, family, man. Rest in peace. His wines still live on, which is a great thing. And thank you to everybody. I got to throw you out of here. Thank you for coming by and taking the time. I will see all you you guys outside in the real world. Peace out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. 
Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.